You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio. For this month's episode, Roxanne Moran spoke with Kathy Biga about the business of medicine and the future of care delivery in cardiology. Hello, it's Roxana Moran coming to you on Rock's Heart Radio. And I am so excited about this month's podcast. Today, we have a fantastic guest someone that I've learned from for the last three years, being on the board of trustees of the American College of Cardiology and uh, someone who I think you all will love having as our current vice president of the American College of Cardiology. Today we have Kathleen Biga. She's MSN, RN, FACC president and CEO of Cardiovascular Management of Illinois, a cardiology physician practice management company. She works with more than 100 providers in Chicago, Illinois area and partners in their cardiovascular service lines at more than 14 acute care hospitals. She has, of course, is well-versed over 40 years of experience as a registered nurse. And of course, she received her master's of science in Northern Illinois University School of Nursing. She's been, a hosp- she's been a service line director, hospital vice president, and CEO. So much of experience, vast, vast, tremendous knowledge about the cardiovascular medicine and the business of cardiology. One of her biggest, I think, assets is her ability to work on strategic planning, operational efficiencies, integrated financial and quality initiatives, growth and development of cardiovascular service lines. In fact, she was the inaugural chair of MedAxium, which is an ACC company, but one that is really working in operational efficiencies and improving and enhancing and bringing cardiovascular leaders together. We're gonna talk a little bit about that on this podcast. She is the very first non-physician leader and vice president, and then soon to be president of the American College of Cardiology. So without further ado, I'm introducing and welcoming you, Kathy. If it's okay, I'm going to call you with your first name and and please do the same with me. I mean, we see each other and I learn from you every few weeks on the board of trustees uh, where you've served. So welcome to the program. Thanks, Roxanne. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm not sure if I feel really old now or very maybe very well versed, but I appreciate that kind introduction. I know just how young you are and how amazing you are on so many levels. And I'm just so thrilled to have you on on our program. So let's first talk about, you were the inaugural chair of MedAxiom. And every one of my colleagues always asks, what is MedAxiom and what's this relationship with ACC? Can you dissect it just quickly for everybody so people understand? And you no longer are on the board. Uh, There's a whole bunch of other people, but you help them launch the whole program. And I think it's been a fantastic, fantastic addition and a great help for clinicians. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about what you're doing, what what that what that is and what people should know about it? Yeah, I, I'd love to because it's actually, uh, I really owe a lot of my administrative uh, acumen to MedAxiom. So in, you know, 15 words or less, MedAxiom um, was a company that was privately owned for a number of years, started in the late 90s, and we were one of the first groups to join it. It sort of paralleled MGMA. Many people may know MGMA is kind of like the practice administrator organization. MedAxiom is specific to cardiology. 
And so it was made up of a number of groups, 30, 40 of us started way back in the late 90s with Pat White, and it just evolved. And when I decided to come out of hospitals and to join what was known then as the dark side, to be on the physician side of healthcare, very, very different than running a hospital. It really was Medaxium that um, helped me with that on-the-job training, the amazing community and network uh, that we have developed through Medaxium. And as you mentioned, it evolved uh, to a point when ACC was talking about non-clinical competencies, because as you well know, the value of ACC is their quality and science and patient outcome trials, those types of things with science and quality, but the non-clinical competencies are becoming more and more aligned and more and more critical as we realize that our payment system is broke. So I love my clinicians. I love working with physicians, but the bottom line is everybody needs a paycheck at the end of the day, no matter what we do, whether we're a bench researcher or whether we're a boots on the ground, independent cardiologist, or whether we're an employed situation and Medaxium brings us uh, that flavor through their listserv and their data, big data organization on how to run a practice. So looking at all of that financial components that are so important in cardiology. So I was thrilled when ACC decided that non-clinical competencies were going to be important and ended up acquiring um, Medaxium. So thrilled that the family's together. So we have both the clinical and the non-clinical continuum. Yeah, and I think it's just such an important part as we're all hearing about the overwhelming, um, uh, you know, mental health issues now and for healthcare providers. And a lot of it has to do with the administrative non-clinical competencies. If I were just left alone to care for my patients and would get the same paycheck regardless of how many patients I saw, what kind of procedures I built for, all these other things, I'd be a very, very happy person. And yet we are realizing now that, you know, just this morning I had to spend time with auditors that said I was underbilling, that I was spending too much time with patients and not billing according, accordingly. Those kinds of things that are just really kind of get under your skin a little bit as a clinician, clinician, scientist, as somebody who cares for patients. And I feel like the patients are getting the bad end of the deal. How do we balance this, Kathy? What do, you, what do you think is the solution? Well, number one, and I think ACC 23 was a prime example of that. We have got to get non-clinical competencies into fellowship training. We really have to align it with the clinical acumen that you deliver as program directors and mentors for our fellows, because the bottom line is that this payment system is not going to change easily. And so we do have to be able to do it in a manner that our physicians and our APPs uh, find joy back in their work, that we're not working for our EMR, but our EMR is supposed to be working for us. And, and that's part of what our role as administrators are in this team-based approach. And that's kind of the key, Roxanne, because I assume we're going to talk about the enormous economic pressures that the hospitals are under, the incredible staffing that we're all under, the great resignation. And so the bottom line is that we have to figure out how to deliver care differently. The CV care delivery model has got to change. And it's so hard. We did it during COVID. We did it very quickly during COVID. But yet we've all trenched back into our normal way of doing it. As you know, one of our favorite slides is looking at our waiting room from 1980 or looking at our exam room from 1990. They look exactly the same today. So what are we really doing to take advantage of some of the 
either artificial intelligence or different technology to really help our patients have access and to help our physicians not do all of their task box at home at nine o'clock at night. That's, that's the goal of the next couple of years. Do you think we're going to make that though? You think we're going to actually be successful and what will it take? Well, it will take coming out of our comfort zone. How good are we coming out of our comfort zone? Probably not all that great. And again, unfortunately, it kind of boils down to money and it boils down to how we reimburse our physicians. Because the bottom line is no matter what area of cardiovascular services you're employed by, you're employed. And that employment is based on a model from 1985 when Medicare came into play on how our fee schedules are all aligned or misaligned. And as long as our payment model is misaligned with our delivery model, it will continue to be a challenge. So we need to figure out whether we do different carve outs with our private payers, look at different methods of bundles like we have with both the ACOs and the bundle payment initiative. Those are starts, but we're by no means um, sustainable and successful. I mean, I think it just, it seems to me like um, as much as we have to know these clinical competencies that we're getting, you know, board certified for, I almost feel like this non-clinical competency, if you're going to run a program, if you're going to be a chief, if you're going to be anything that is like, especially in terms of promoting and promotions, you're going to have to know a little bit about these non-clinical, not a little bit, but a lot. So I think the other thing, just before you go go on, I think the other key is a dyad relationship. And I think we have been really good in our urban and rural areas and dyad relationships. I think it's a little late. You can tell me, but I think it's a little late coming to academia. But having that dyad, I couldn't survive without my dyad. We were on the phone at seven o'clock this morning, you know, because I had some physician issues he needed to deal with. He had some administrative stuff that he needed me to deal with. And that way we can maximize both of our skill sets most efficiently. To me, that's one of the key success factors. And that dyad needs to start at the base of the organization. So in our cath labs, our EP labs, a physician and administrative leader that work on operations, clinical and strategic. So it sort of puts two heads are better than one. And we both come with our skill set. And we both learn from each other. So I think that's one of the ways people that aren't in dyad yet, I think that is a way that can make us more successful than we are now. And that's something we can change. We can't change Medicare right now. We can't change the big insurers. We all saw United and and Blue Cross, the profits that they're, you know, spieling off based on what you do, not what I do, but what you do every day. You know, that's going to take a longer time, but having a dyad and a team, a team-based delivery system that we can do tomorrow. It's unbelievable. And it's just eye-opening listening to you uh, about these things. And I know that our, our listeners are going to really enjoy this. So I start thinking about like the years ago, everybody was in these like private practices. I remember when I started training and the private doctors were, you know, they were doing their own things. Everyone had their own business of their private practice. It was truly a private practice. Then the hospitals, the HMOs came in and then the hospitals began acquiring these practices with great contracts. And, and then of course, um, we started to see a demise after three years, the hospital became less friendly, more RVU based, more pushing you to the limit. 
And then the physicians became totally upset and overwhelmed. Many of them now are starting their own outpatient labs. I feel like, like it's literally the pendulum swinging back again, back to the old practice. But what's happening in a very quick way, I'm starting to see that the corporate world is becoming interested in our beautiful art of medicine and tampering with it in some ways by you know, taking over. And maybe the hospitals are like venture capital firms. I have no idea, but certainly they're now taking over. And I am really nervous about that. And what does this mean for the future when I'm hearing that um, these venture capital firms are paying tons of money to practitioners, taking over large practices and then running it as if this was a corporate world. I worry about the delivery of care to patients. Can you expand on that? And what is what is going on, Kathy? How do we get medicine back to where it belongs with the physicians and the CB team? I think a little bit of that is um, either regaining or reasserting our professionalism. I think that's sort of key. But let's pull that thread that you started because you're right. I had a blast, for lack of a better word, when we were independent. We, we had a great team. We delivered great care. And it, it was fun. And then what happened? This is the key to what you just said. What happened? The fee schedule changed. We already talked about what happens when our incentives aren't aligned financially. 2010 was the year. It was the year when the fee schedule changed. And it changed right on the heels of what was called the DRA, the Deficit Reduction Act. And that Deficit Reduction Act equalized imaging payments between the hospital and the physician office saying that the physician office could never be paid more than the hospital. That's what started. And then in 2010, there was a big fee schedule change. And what did cardiologists do? Business models. It was all about business models. And you're right. It's the ebb and flow of business models. And so from 2010 to about 2019, we had this huge influx of employment. So academia sort of stayed academia, but you'll notice probably about 2018, 19, they also started looking at RVUs and changing comp models and all those types of things. And so what happened was about 80, 85% of all cardiologists are now employed. So our independent practices became very small. I think you're alluding to private equity. So welcome 2020, really 2021, the private equity firms became very, very interested in cardiology. Why would that be? They were in ophthalmology, they were in dermatology, they were in radiology, but why now? Well, all you have to do is look, as you just said, office-based labs, ambulatory surgery centers, always we lovingly refer to them, OBLs and ASCs. The rules change. Medicare changed the rules. They allow procedures now to be done, cardiac procedures, EP procedures, vascular procedures to be done in these settings. And the private equity firms see money. They also see value. So again, from ACC, we try to do a very balanced approach to educating on private equity firms, but it is a business model change. And how it's going to be, is it going to be like employment? We don't know. We do know that it's right now as of, what are we talking, March 15th or so, 2023. Right now, private equity is only acquiring independent practices. Although there's a number of, I don't know if we want to call them deals, in place with employed groups. And that's, that's interesting. I won't say it's worrisome. I won't say it's exciting because we just don't know. 
But many people say, as you watch private equity, as you mentioned, you know, where does Amazon fit into this? Where does Walmart fit in? Where does CVS fit in? Where does Optum, United, you know, where do all that fit in to who is going to be the employer of physicians? Because will we ever go back independent? I don't think so. Um, at least not the way our models are designed right now. It's very hard to go independent right now. Does that help? Wow. Oh, no, it really does. And and I just can't, I'm just so excited that you're going to be the one leading us in a year or so. I know that this is a, it's a sore subject for many of us um, when we think about, you know, that I don't want to call it the evil empire. Maybe they can do better. Maybe the Amazons of the world and CBS and all they can do better. I, I just worry about our patients. And I know that um, our true north is our patients. At ACC, we care about patient outcomes. That's our goal and mission to improve the health outcomes of patients with cardiovascular disease. And so um, the idea of having someone with your knowledge, your capabilities, your acumen on this non-clinical competency, but also a clinician who understands what physicians do, I think is just an incredible opportunity for ACC and for our membership at large to feel elated to have someone like you lead the way. But tell me, as you're looking at your crystal ball, because I know you know things that none of us have any idea about, where do you see us five years from now and then 10 years from now? Well, my crystal ball gets cloudy after three years. So I do a three-year and a five-year um, okay. trend okay. to this. So I, and I think we have to worry about patient access. I think that is really number one. Diversity, inclusion, engagement, that is really, really, really important for both our providers as well as our patients. And honestly, a safe work environment. You know, as, as we sort of evolve into the culture of uh, the United States right now, I think that's an issue to everyone. And so in order to deliver the clinical care that our researchers get for us, our technology gets us to, we have to put that into a succinct package for our patients so they can access that care safely and that we have enough providers, that we have enough staff to take care of those patients because we're not done with a great resignation. And if you read the literature, it's never going to get better. It, we are not going to go back to where we were from a staffing perspective. So ensuring that both from a, a cardiologist perspective, our young scholars, you know, working with women, making sure that it is a safe uh, environment for our female physicians, as well as our male physicians, so that cardiology is a field that we want to go to, as well as making sure we have enough nurses and technicians and even those nasty administrators. We still need administrators to help <laughs> us get this whole thing through. So that's how I see us in evolution. And I see us needing to be very, very, very active in advocacy because we do have to help change this world that we live in because we want it better for the next generation. 10 years from now, I think it's going to be an amazing world with collaborative uh, uh, arrangements, much as like uh, Amibat shares with the uh, innovation process of, of ACC. I think how we use technology and AI um, we could probably ask chat GPT and it could probably tell us what we're going to look like, but we need that human brain, that human brain must interact with our AI to make sure those outcomes for our patients, our access for our patients is truly there. 
So it, it's going to be an exciting, I've been excited about this world ever since I graduated. And I think it will just continue because it's a great field and we can do so much if we work together. Well, Kathy, thank you so much. What a fantastic podcast. I think this one is a very different one and it's because you're just so unique and fantastic. Thank you for your time today. I know how busy you are and we're really, really excited about your leadership at the college. I can personally speak to that and I know the world will be very, very much happy to see you at the helm. Thank you again. We'll talk again, I'm sure. Thanks, Roxanne. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And this is Roxana Moran signing off of Rox Heart Radio. Keep listening.